Good afternoon. Uh, we'll look at John chapter 2, verses 12 through 25. Kind of looks like the, the warm weather is behind us now already. Uh, did you guys uh, all see the snow a couple days ago? Uh, it was here briefly in the morning, and then it disappeared. But seems like it's going to be like this now. Um, the title of the sermon is The New Temple. The New Temple from John chapter 2, verses 12 through 25. After this, he went down to Capernaum. His mother, his brothers, his disciples, they stayed there for a few days. The Passover of the Jews was at hand. Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple, he found those who were selling oxen, sheep, pigeons, monkey, eh, monkey, money changers sitting there. And making a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and oxen. He poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. And he told those who sold the pigeons, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. His disciples remember that it was written, Zeal for your house will consume me. So the Jews said to him, What sign do you show us for doing these things? Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple. In three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, It has taken 46 years to build this temple, and you raise it up in three days? But he was speaking about the temple of his body. When therefore he was raised from the dead. His disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name, and they saw the signs that he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them, because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We pray that you would speak to us through this passage into our hearts. Help us to understand the scripture. May your spirit enable us to understand the scriptures in a way that will be relevant to us, applicable to the different uh, things that we're going through in our lives, and build up your people um, through this hour of worship, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Continuing on and studying John, and uh, this particular section, we talked about how this the broader section where the first part of the gospel where it's called the signs, um, the book of signs, because we see a lot of miracles that Jesus does. And we're kind of in this uh, subsection where um, John records old things that pass away and new things that replace the old things. And so last week we talked about how the old purification water is replaced by the new wine in Jesus Christ. And in this passage, we're going to see how the old temple is replaced by the new temple in Jesus Christ. And uh, hopefully through that, as we talk about the temple being replaced through Jesus Christ, we'll see the ways that the new temple is relevant in our lives today and how we approach God and meet with God. Okay, so first, Jesus cleansed the temple. Jesus cleansed the temple. Uh, it says in verse 12 that he went down to Capernaum with his mother, brothers, disciples. So, so this takes place sometime after the wedding in Cana that we talked about last week. It says the Passover of the Jews was at hand and Jesus went up 
to Jerusalem. Passover was an annual celebration. As Jews remembered their deliverance out of Egypt. It's called the Passover because uh, it's recorded in Exodus how the angel passed over the homes that were uh, marked with blood on the doorpost and spared the firstborn son. And since then, the Jews commemorated the Passover and remembered how God had saved them. And of course, the Passover was foreshadowing what Jesus would do to save sinners. Now, there are three different Passovers mentioned in the Gospel of John, and this is the earliest one. And, um, and I mentioned that because this account, if you notice as we read it, of Jesus clearing out the temple, um, that's also recorded in the other Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, pertaining to what happened in the final week of Jesus. So if you remember a lot of, I'm sure you do remember your Passion Week readings, uh, we always come to this text, right? Jesus clear out, clears out the temple. So, so how do we reconcile that? Uh, the other gospel says Jesus did this in his last week. John records this very early on in Jesus' ministry. So it's possible that John is placing this account here early in Jesus' ministry for a thematic reason. Right? Because what he does here relates directly to what he's going to say right after this, how Jesus replaced the temple. Or it could be that there are two separate accounts of the temple, Jesus clearing the temple. I'm inclined to think, I mean, no one knows for sure because the Bible doesn't say, but I'm inclined to think that this happened early in his ministry. And then again, it happened three years later before Jesus went to the cross. Because um, if this was the practice at the time in the temple of animals being there in the court and things like that and, and money changers being there, things like that, it's hard to believe that this one incident where Jesus clears the temple would have cleansed the temple for good. It was probably something that people, they brought it right back. And it's likely that these duplicate accounts are different events that the gospel writers record at different points in Jesus' ministry. We don't know for sure, but I'm inclined to think that that's what it is. Uh, verse 14 says, In the temple he found those who were selling oxen, sheep, pigeons, money changers sitting there. Now this, uh, the background to this is that people, the, the Jews travel from all over um, to Jerusalem to make their animal sacrifices for this Annual, they made this annual pilgrimage to, to make their animal sacrifices in the temple. And obviously it would have been much easier to, to buy the sacrifice there instead of having to travel with their sacrifice from, you know, from that distance. And the money changers are there to exchange the currency um, that different people might bring. And obviously as they exchange currency, they're also making a profit out of this. And uh, that's why that's taking place here, selling animals, exchanging money. That's why it's taking place here in Jerusalem. But the problem was, it says here in verse 14, in the temple, he found those who were selling us. So the problem was that it was actually happening in the temple itself. And making a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple. Poured out the coins of the money changers overturned their tables, told the 
people who are selling, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. Again, the issue was not that these things were taking place. It probably would have been okay if these things were taking place somewhere else in Jerusalem. But the problem was that it was happening in the temple courts. Jesus says, take these things away, meaning get these things away from here. Do this somewhere else. Because this is not what was supposed to happen in the house of God. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. And Jesus must have expressed his displeasure with a lot of passion, even anger, because the next verse says, his disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. I mean, think about it. Can you imagine walking into the sanctuary on Sunday? And you want to pray. You want to worship. You walk in wanting to meet with God. And as soon as you walk in, you're met with everything that you would find in a marketplace. You know? The sound of animals everywhere. People like clamoring, loudly, haggling, buying and selling. The strong smell of animals, can you imagine? In the very place where you're trying to worship, it would have been very hard to, to worship and to pray in an environment like that. Jesus saw all that and it's like he could not believe it. He could not believe that this is happening in the house of God and it made him angry. You see, the priority here for the people was the activity of worship, right? As long as we have the animals, as long as we sacrifice at the temple, as long as we do what we're supposed to do, then, then we're good Jews, right? Like we brought the, we made the right uh, animal, we met the right animal criteria in terms of the sacrifice. We did it. We're doing the worship we're supposed to do. Um, and in the process, they completely missed who they were offering the sacrifice to or why the animal sacrifice was offered in the first place, why it was necessary before God. They completely missed the holiness of God, the worthiness of God to whom they were bringing these offerings. I think that easily applies to us because there's a huge difference between going to church and meeting with God. The huge difference between going to church and actually meeting God. There's a huge difference between logging into worship and giving God worship. Right? Oh, as long as I do these things, as long as I log in by 2 p.m., right? And I stayed till the end of announcements. Then I went to church. I did what I was supposed to do. Right? So we could be doing a lot of other things while we're logged in, right? Like you can have the screen, the worship up there on the screen while you're, I don't know, like uh, drinking lemonade, <laughs> eating lunch. I mean, who, 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 who's going to know? Like I'm, I'm eating, I'm multitasking. I don't know. And then all along, after all, it's like the heart of worship that matters, right? It's the heart that matters, right? But 
that's the very thing that we might be neglecting the heart of worship just doing the activities that we're supposed to do in worship might be missing the worthiness of God the reason why we worship in the first place Jesus saw what was happening in the temple and it made him angry because of his zeal for the house of God and he calls for pure worship for genuine worship worship from the heart without distractions I saw this uh, I saw a big boxing match last night on ESPN is a lightweight unification title bout between Vasily Lomachenko and Teofimo Lopez how many of you saw it just out of curiosity? One person in the sanctuary. So anyway, it's a big fight. If you're into boxing, it is a big fight. It's like a, it's a unification match, meaning uh, uh, Lomachenko held three belts in the same weight division. Lopez had one, and then they were battling. These are like the top contenders, and they were battling to unify the, the bout. And, and throughout the week, I kind of got invested into in this boxing match, watching different things, reading different things. And I was really pulling for one fighter because, I mean, they're both great fighters, but one of them, it just, to me, just he just seemed like so arrogant, so cocky. And uh, his father, who was his coach, was even more cocky. <laughs> so it kind of turned me off. And so uh, I was pulling for the other guy. Um, but then the result was a great boxing match. The result didn't go the way I wanted it to go. And uh, I was, because of that, I was emotionally disappointed after the match. I mean, like I, like, I have nothing really invested in this, but I felt emotionally disappointed uh, at the outcome. Now, I think like, you might not even care like anything about this. You don't care who won or whatever. But the thing is, we all have zeal. We all have zeal that consumes us about many other things. And whatever your thing might be, that's exactly what we're supposed to feel about the worship of God. Being pleased when, when God is worshipped properly as he should being displeased when God is not recognized, his worthiness is not recognized properly as it should. And that's what Jesus expresses. Zeal for his house consumes him because he wanted pure, genuine worship in the house of God, worship from the heart without distractions. Jesus cleansed the temple for pure worship. Secondly, Jesus replaced the temple. Just two points today. Jesus replaced the temple. So after that, verse 18, so the Jews said to him, what sign do you show us for doing these things? So Jesus cleared out the temple. So now people come and they want to know what gives you the right to do these things. They're thinking, we've always done temple worship this way. There have always been animals here as long as I could remember. So they're probably trying to preserve their way of worship and the, you know, preserve the profit that comes along with it. So what sign can you show us to prove your authority? 
But obviously, show me a sign. That attitude that says, show me a sign is usually an excuse to not do what we know we should do, right? Kind of like saying, if I saw Jesus do miracles today, then I would believe him. While we neglect the, the very revelation that he has already given us in his word. So, but that's what they do. They just show us a sign to validate that you have authority to say these things. Jesus answered them, verse 19, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. Um, they have no idea what Jesus meant by this. The Jews then says, it's taken 46 years to build a temple and you will raise it up in three days. But he was speaking about the temple of his body. And so this is John's commentary, right? But he was speaking about the temple of his body. You see, the temple was the dwelling place of God. It was the place where God's people came to meet with God in the dwelling place of God. But as majestic as the, the actual temple was, at the end of the day, it was still just a building made by human hands. And the only reason why it was special, the only reason why it was a special building is because of the presence of God that was represented in the temple. And then Jesus comes, and then he equates the temple with his body. Because Jesus was the word of God manifested in the flesh. He was the very dwelling of God. And as he'll say later, there's no other way to the Father except through me. So Jesus would become the new meeting point with God, the new way to meet with God, not through the activities done in the temple, but through faith in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's why he's able to say, um, that's why John is able to say, he was talking about his body, the temple of his body. Verse 22, And therefore he was raised from the dead. His disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scriptures and the word that Jesus had spoken. So now, in hindsight, after Jesus, the death and resurrection, it all made sense to the disciples. They remembered Jesus saying, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Now they knew that he was talking about the death and resurrection. The resurrection that came three days later. And that is why John says in verse 17, his disciples remember that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. That comes from Psalm 69 verse 9, which says, for zeal for your house has consumed me. That's David in Psalm 69 verse 9 says, for zeal for your house has consumed me, but John changes it to the future tense, zeal for your house will consume me, because he's implying that Jesus was thinking about his death as he cleansed the temple. Zeal for your house will consume me, and that zeal for your house caused Jesus to give his life to bring pure worshipers to God. 23, when he was in, now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name and they saw the signs that he was doing. Then it says this, it's interesting, but Jesus on his part did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people. He had no one to bear witness about men for he himself knew what was in men. So it says many believed in Jesus, but Jesus didn't believe in them. It's the same word, believe, 
believe and is translated in trust, right? It means many believed in Jesus, but Jesus didn't believe in man. Many people trusted in his name, but Jesus himself did not uh, entrust himself to them. So that probably means that as an application that we should entrust ourselves, but that we should only trust in Jesus. The new temple that brings us to God. Our kids, as many of you know, play basketball. And, uh, you know, I was kind of thinking about the whole process that they go through. Like, they start out as little kids, at least our kids did, playing basketball. And at that point, it's all just for fun, right? Like, it doesn't matter if you can play, if you don't play well, you're just running around, can't make anything. Like, at that point, it's just to have fun. And now, as our kids are getting to high school age, I still really want our kids to enjoy the experience of playing and have fun. But it's getting a little hard to have fun because your opponents are are getting bigger, they're getting stronger, they're getting faster, and the competition keeps getting higher and higher. So, like so this is what happens like every year like uh, they themselves are growing, they themselves are improving, getting better. But everyone else is too. And every year, stakes are getting higher and higher. Right? It's not just go and play, and then if you win, they give you a ribbon or something. Now, like, uh, different things are at stake. So I thought about it. Like, the pattern is, the pattern is uh, a potential setup for failure. Right? The pattern is like you're improving. You're constantly working at it. You're improving. There's progress in you. But the way the system works, you're always going to be met with frustration. Right? Because there's always going to be something that happens. Like you're going to run into someone who's like really good. You're going to run into some situation that's unfair. You're going to run into some scenario that just wasn't right. Like you can get hurt, whatever. There's, you're always met with frustration. And so if you follow that pattern, you could always be left thinking, oh man, I wish I was quicker, faster, I can shoot better, I wish I was taller, stronger, whatever. I'm never good enough. And the thing is, like in terms of sports, in terms of basketball, that pattern never ends, right? Like even if you're so good and you make it to the NBA, that pattern doesn't end because that still exists. There's always someone better, always some circumstance that can disappoint you. Even if you're an all-star in the NBA, even if you're one of the best players in the world, right? So, I mean, think about it. The system is designed to make you feel frustrated and disappointed. And that's the thing. That's the case with almost everything in life, right? As you think about trying to improve in your career, as you think about whatever, as long as something is in our own hands, there will always be frustration and disappointment. Disappointment, frustrations will never cease in life because we ourselves will never be perfect. And it's that same experience when we come before God. We cannot, no matter how hard we try, 
We cannot be pure worshipers before God. That is an impossible task. You might be able to improve yourselves in little ways here and there, but we'll never be able to completely shake off the distractions in our hearts. You'll always be, there will always be something that keeps you from God as long as coming to God is something that's in your own hands. You can never satisfy the holiness of God. That's why Jesus comes. That's why he comes and replaces the temple. He says, there's no other way to the Father except through me. Every other way is an impossible way. You place yourself in your own hands, you will be disappointed and frustrated. There's no other way to the Father except through me. So trust in me. Jesus died in our place, gave us his righteousness to free us, free us from that unending frustration, that pattern of disappointment and frustration of trying to be right before God, trying to be a little bit better before God. So trust me, he says. May we be strengthened in that truth and simply trust in Jesus in our hearts. Uh, our oldest got his driver's permit and uh, that means, as many of you know, like that means he can drive with an adult in the car with them. So he drives here and there when we need to go somewhere. So before we leave, before he and I leave, I ask his brothers, hey, do you want to ride with us? Hey, your older brother's going to drive. You want to experience it? You know, come ride with us? And uh, so far, 100%, the answer's always been no, right? And it's not just no. It's like, as soon as I say, hey, do you want to come with us? Like their eyes get big. They're like, no, 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 no. I don't want to die. So what does that mean? What does that no, 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 no mean? That means I don't trust him, right? Maybe later, uh, years, years later when he has more experience, but now no way, I don't trust him. Um, that no, 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 no. The point is that has to be our attitude when we're constantly tempted by ourselves to put ourselves in the driver's seat of our lives. When we're tempted to trust in ourselves, whether it's trying to be right before God, whether it's trying to feel better about ourselves, whether it's trying to uplift our identity through our talents or what we're good at through our reputation, whatever it might be, Whenever we're tempted to place ourselves in our own hands, no, I don't want to die. I only want to trust Jesus in my life. May that be the attitude that we have. That is the reason for which Jesus came to replace the temple. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the revelation in your word of how Jesus cleansed the temple, purified the temple, uh, called for pure worship, uh, so reflective of how 
he lived a perfect life and gave himself to the Father so that we can be perfectly righteous before a holy God. How he cleansed the temple and how he cleanses us that we might be right with you. Pray that as we live in a fallen world full of disappointment, full of frustrations, even as we live with a heart that is constantly inclined to, to trust in ourselves, I pray that the gospel message would call us, enable us to empty our hands and give ourselves into the hands of Jesus Christ, who brings us to the Father that we might be right before him. Thank you, Lord. Strengthen your people through your word, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's pray. Uh, you want to take a moment? You want to take a moment and pray and uh, lift up your burdens to God? Whatever you might be going through, different things that might not be going your way right now, things that cause disappointment, things like that. Uh, let's just bring it before the Lord because uh, He cares for us and um, and uh, um, we have a Savior who gave Himself so that we can be freed from trying to produce results ourselves. You know, he says, uh, give yourself to me and trust in me and uh, as our lives are in His hands, that's the best place it could be. So we just take a moment and entrust ourselves to the Lord. Um, and then and I'll close this in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word once again. And just uh, this constant pattern of trying to um, take a hold of our lives and trying to produce results and trying to um, make things happen, trying to be successful, trying to be worthy. We thank you that we don't have to do that. We thank you that the gospel frees us from that. And ultimately, that we don't have to try to save ourselves or try to be right before God. We thank you that Jesus makes us righteous before a holy God. So along with that, let's help us to yield completely our lives into your hands. Um, uh, in the grace and the strength and the power that you provide um, help us to daily experience you uh, so that empowered by your grace our worship would become more and more pure sanctified um, through the work of your hands we trust ourselves to you uh, really comfort and strengthen your people now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ covenant love this great love of the Father God and the fellowship and the strength the power of the Holy Spirit be with you both now and forever Amen <laughs>